A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I am so happy to welcome tonight Valencia Abbott. Valencia Abbott is currently the Social Studies Department Chair and History Teacher at Rockingham Early College High School in Wentworth, North Carolina. The 2020-2021 school year will mark her 16th year in education. After completing a master's degree in liberal studies, she received a post-baccalaureate certificate in African American Studies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. In 2016, she received her add-on licensure, Academically Intellectually Gifted, from Duke University. She has also served on several teacher advisory boards, such as History Task Force, Educating for American Democracy, a Roadmap for Excellence in History and Civics Education for All Learners, NCDPI, Social Studies Standard Course of Study Revision Review Team, the Carter G. Woodson Book Award Selection Committee, the iCivics Educator Network, and the American Civil War Advisory Teacher Council. Additionally, Valencia is the 2018 alumni of Rockingham Citizens Academy. The other parts of her life are filled with three daughters, one son-in-law, four grandchildren, and two grand fur babies, along with being involved in scholar activism and serving on the Education Committee of the Rockingham County Branch of the NAACP, the Planning Committee of the Museum and Archives of Rockingham County, and the Curator of the Civil Rights Movement Beyond 1968, Griggs vs. Duke Power Company. Valencia, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. What I want to say, I know that looks like a a long list, but one of the things that uh, propels me to to do all of those things is that I came into the teaching profession at age 40, so second career choice. And at the beginning, I always felt, since I didn't have that background in education, that I was always playing catch up. So that was one of the things that started motivating me to do professional development and one led to another. So 16 years later, this is where uh, I'm at. That's pretty amazing. Number one, that you jumped into such a difficult profession, uh, rewarding, but hard um, as a second career, but also you care so much, obviously, about your students, about your craft, about the knowledge that you have in order to teach kids um, in a way that's going to be valuable for them and valuable for you. So that's really, really wonderful. And I hope that teachers that are listening feel inspired by all of the things that you've done and that you've gotten involved in, in order to make yourself a continuing to be the best teacher that you can. Um, so the area you focus on for your study is 19th century Black history in the South. And that's what I was hoping that we could discuss on this podcast today for people who may not be as knowledgeable in your area of study or who may want to bring more of that into their classrooms, but they just don't know where to start. So I'd like to begin by asking you, what information or concepts have you studied that are not covered by history standards or are not included in textbooks that you think teachers should include in their class? Well, I always start um, when I'm talking about Black history is to go beyond Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, and Martin Luther King, because most of the time that is where it's centered. So 
what should be included. I'm not saying not exclude them. They should be, those three should be prime examples in any course, but they are not the only icons of black history. If you do choose to teach them, then teach something like Harriet Tubman was a spy for the Union Army, all right, that most people don't know. And that the um, boycott, a bus boycott uh, with Rosa Parks was orchestrated. It was planned. It just wasn't that moment in time. And if you're gonna teach Martin Luther King, teach something other than the I have a dream speech or that little phrase, teach letter from a Birmingham jail, which is absolutely one of my favorite pieces by uh, King. And I actually um, pair that one with Malcolm X uh, in his speech, the, um, the ballad in the bullet. So those two. So there are so many parts of history and black history in particular um, that's missing. So it really depends on what your curriculum is, what your objective is in the classroom. And you can always find something in there um, that's gonna add to your class. Right, and it's sometimes difficult for teachers. And I know early in my teaching career, it was difficult for me too, where it was like you had this narrative of slavery, segregation, civil rights, Obama, ta-da! It's right. <laughs> so getting into more specifics or even digging deeper than what you normally would have. So your example of just teaching the I have a dream speech in that one line, even if you're teaching the I have a dream speech, you kind of have to go past that one piece. There is a lot more to it. And uh, the story of, of the civil rights movement is way beyond Martin Luther King Jr. And it starts before 1954 with the Brown versus the Board of Education class. And it doesn't end with 1968 with his assassination. And it is on so many different levels that you can look at this part of history. But one part of the civil rights movement that I find that many teachers don't incorporate is that it, you have to teach the reconstruction period. If you don't teach the reconstruction era, then the civil rights era is not gonna make a whole lot of sense. You're just spitting out facts and then your students are just spitting them back to you. So one of the things that uh, I would love to see a lot more teachers take part in is actually that deep research, that professional development, which takes time. Um, anything from choosing to read a book um, to go into professional development to actually learning things on your own so that you can have that depth of knowledge in your classroom. And it takes a lot more time than many teachers have. So I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I do know that if we don't do it, we're doing a disservice to our students. Absolutely, I 100% agree. And it does take time, but making that choice to step up for your students and grab a book or teaching tolerance has a really great podcast um, that you can listen to. And that really takes no time. If you're alone in your car or on a walk, uh, you can do that kind of thing. Um, but 
Valencia, I'm right there with you that if we want to do a better job, we need we need to take the time to do that, um, invest in ourselves so we can invest in our kids. And there are so many arguments of why a teacher uh, can or they're not doing that. But the, the bottom line is that when we go into the classroom and when we have these students in, in front of us, okay, whether it's on the screen or whether it's face to face, it is our duty to give them the best that we have on that day. That's it. Um, one of the things um, when I started, when, like I said, I didn't start teaching until I was 40. So the mindset that I came into the classroom was with, I want to teach as if those are my daughters. So I want to give them the best that I have to give. So that's the way I teach. That's why I go and seek out these opportunities. That's why I read what I read. Um, that's why I choose to take that history teacher to history scholar and be that example for my students. I can't tell my students to go do research and all of this if I'm not willing to do it uh, as well. Absolutely. What are some of the PD programs that you've been in that you've liked or any books that you've read recently that you might want to recommend? Oh, so many. First of all, I love NEH, um, the summer institutes. Those are wonderful, competitive, uh, but they allow for that longer period of time. I mean, you can go from one week to three weeks of deep study. And that's what I really like. Um, um, with that. I love Gil Delemer. Um, I um, use the Bill of Rights uh, Institute. I use their website a lot. I don't think I've been to any professional development from them in a long time, but their website is really great, especially um, for my civics class. Mm -hmm. And um, National Humanities Center uh, in Durham, North Carolina absolutely wonderful uh, with their sessions. They're uh, 90 minutes, all different topics. Um, actually, I was on a webinar last night and it was on um, a graphic novel dealing with the Civil War. Wow. So a lot of different opportunities. And one of the things that I would suggest when you find something, just sign up for the listserv. Just sign up and whether you can attend or not, you, you won't be able to attend every uh, uh, program, but you can be exposed and whenever your schedule allows, then just go for it. Absolutely. And a lot of times what, especially in this day when everything is online, a lot of times the recordings are going to be offered later so you can do yes. them on time. Yes. And, and. And in this virtual world, and we can say so many things negative about this world that we're in, the space that we're in, um, but the availability to get the scholarship that we may not have been exposed to is really, really great. Um, over the summer, um, there was the um, Salem Museum uh, in Winston. Um, they were offering, um, they were community um, programs 
but I learned so much history in my area that I did not know. Um, the uh, State Museum in Raleigh are offering programs. Uh, sometimes they are short as an hour and sometimes as, as long as a couple of hours. But again, you just pick and choose um, what you want to do. But I would really encourage um, people to pick those areas that you don't know anything about. And don't think that you can immediately take that information and go into the classroom. It is not like, okay, I found out about this fact, now can teach it. I think what is missing is actually processing the information. And it takes time. And not only that, even with my experience, and I do consider myself an experienced teacher, when there's a new topic um, that I've just learned about, I take it in bits and pieces because I have to digest it, I have to research it, and then I have to get comfortable with teaching it. Mm -hmm. And just because this is the new fangled thing or this is the new idea doesn't mean um, that you immediately bring it into the classroom, even though you want to. And one of the examples is um, the book called Lifting As We Climb, Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box. When I finished that book, I wanted to go back and reteach every lesson I had ever taught on women's suffrage movement because I was like, I did it wrong. I just did it wrong. I, I need to redo it. So I'm not beating myself up. I'm just going to take that and go forward with this new information that I have and start inserting that into my class. And when I start making those little changes and when I'm comfortable with the information, then it's going to be taught well to my students. It's not just going to be something that's just going to be said. And it makes a difference because my students can see that I'm passionate about this, I'm serious about this, and then their takeaway becomes different as well. And you made such a good point. You made a lot of really good points. But the one thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that you're not beating yourself up over having, quote unquote, taught it wrong. Because now you have new information and you can just go back and do better once you're ready to go back and do better. So if you're learning something new or you're looking back earlier in your career or even to last week, the point is that you're still learning. And the more we learn, the better we can do. Yes. And I think um, that it's important for uh, teachers to be aware of the demographics in their classroom and also to speak to that. Uh, I'm also the advisor of the History Club. And one of my members um, brought um, to my attention um, that she was of Asian descent and she did not see a lot of that in the classroom. And um, last year, she wanted to do a program on Chinese New Year. We've never done the program before. I was like, that's great. And that made me think, oh, I don't have a lot of history that's dealing with the Asian population. Um, so um, they call us enemy, the uh, graphic novel by George Takai. Okay, I read that. 
uh, Smithsonian has an exhibit on Asian American uh, poster exhibit. I went there, got, got the exhibit, and then PBS has a documentary on Asian Americans. So those are all of these different resources that I'm pulling together. And that's what I'm researching even before I'm going to put a lesson together. And that's one of the reasons that the lessons will go well is because I know what I'm teaching and I'm comfortable with teaching it. And I'm not afraid to say, I just don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to learn and I'm going to get better. Oh, absolutely. And it's so important that we are helping the students that we serve. So yeah. looking around, seeing who is in your classroom, or even if you get that kind of request, which some students may not be brave enough to do that, right. brave enough to ask. I mean, I teach middle school and I know an eighth grader, it's very, there are very few and far between who would come up to me and say, can we do this? Or I don't see myself here. So we, as the gatekeepers need to make sure we have, we are seeing who's coming in the gate and then taking the time and the care to learn about the history of the people that we have in our classroom is really important. And it shows that it shows that we care about them. Right. And also to think about those conversations that we have outside the classroom, because you're right, inside the classroom, a lot of students uh, may not voice what they really have. So places like History Club, where it's a smaller environment, it's a more relaxed environment, uh, create conversations that I may not get in the classroom. So I think of all of that as teaching, not just, okay, I'm here in this block for 90 minutes, but all of that matters um, because that one conversation made me think in a totally different direction and um, is creating lessons from that. So I want to switch gears a little bit because you're doing some really interesting research about a Supreme Court case that many of our audience members may not have heard of or may not be familiar with, and it's Griggs v. Duke Power Company. Can you tell us a little bit about the case? All right. So um, I live in Rockingham County, North Carolina. We are close to the Virginia border. I think it takes me about 15 minutes. Uh, to get into Virginia. Uh, we're also one of the largest uh, counties in North Carolina, and we are really rural. Small town, so if you think of small town, you would picture exactly where I live. So a lot of, uh, especially my students, don't think anything exciting ever happened here. All right. So um, 50 years ago, uh, 1971, there was a United States uh, Supreme Court decision that was made uh, regarding a case um, filed by 13 African-American men regarding employment discrimination. Um, it started in 1966, it'll finish in 1971. And the fact that these 13 men who are classified as common laborers, as janitors, took a case all the way to the Supreme Court and won is just totally unbelievable. And especially in the time period that we're talking about, 1966 to 1971, um, that that is just remarkable feat. Um, but the sad commentary on that 
is that most people, even when they were doing the case, didn't realize that the history that they were making. And especially now when I mentioned the case, even in this, in, even in my hometown, no one, not no one, almost no one knows what this case is about or understand the significance of a case that made its way through the judicial branch to go to the Supreme Court. And so um, this year uh, will mark the 50th commemoration of that Supreme Court case. And I am a volunteer with my local museum. And over two years ago at a planning um, meeting, the name Griggs was brought up. Um, then I realized that the 50th was actually was gonna be here. And I started researching um, these men because when you hear about the case, you just hear about the legality of the case. What I wanted to find out was the narrative of these men and the story that they told that will give us insight to the Jim Crow era. It gives us insight to um, the civil rights movement, but it also give us a perspective of black people's lives that's removed from what we see in the curriculum. When we talk about the civil rights of Jim Crow, you think mostly of big cities in these places. You think of the Harlem Renaissance in New York, you think of Atlanta with, with King, and you think of these places, but when you look at the history of what small town, North Carolina, how did that look and differ from the same fight that was going on in Atlanta or Chicago or California, or even our closest neighbor, Greensboro. So Greensboro, North Carolina, where you have um, the, the Woolworth sit-ins, that is again, a different world than um, 30 minutes north in Rockingham County. So this history tells a lot more than just the Supreme Court, the decision of the Supreme Court. That is so cool on so many levels. You have my wheels turning now <laughs> because it covers so many, so many things. You can talk about local history. Honestly, I have never in covering the civil rights movement thought to cover, cover rural America. Never once until just now. Right. <laughs> so, and also the idea of individuals involved in the civil rights movement, going back to what you said before, who are not King, who are not Parks, that is incredible. And you can do that, even if you're not living in Rockingham County, you can right. do that in your own backyard. Yes, and imagine the lesson. Uh, uh, so um, there's 13 men um, with these variety of last name. Imagine um, the lesson when you come across someone that has your last name, like Galloway, okay, or Broadnax, or even the, um, the name from the case that is um, named, Griggs versus Duke Power. Because I have students with those last names in, in my classes, um, in the school, and now they're going to see that. And one of the things with this research, I have a college intern that's working with me on this. And she found out she was a distant cousin of Griggs. Think how that 
makes her interpretation of this history different now that she knows I'm related to somebody that has a Supreme Court case. And it makes it personal. And we know that that's one of the ways that we get our students engaged. When it becomes personal for them, then they're going to connect more strongly. Talk about seeing yourself in history class. Yes. That is amazing. Uh, it has been uh, an amazing journey. All of the plaintiffs ha have passed away. And right now, the struggle is to find people that can tell me this narrative. So it's not only teaching the history, but one of the things with my students is to actually um, teach them the skills that historians use and having my students conduct all history. So it's, it's not going to uh, just with the, the content or the topics, but those skills that they can take and use in other places other than history classes. Because if I teach my students how to research and how to write and how to archive and then how to communicate, those skills will work in anything that they are planning to do with their lives. Yes, do I all want all of them to become history teachers? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's, that's not the reality. So it's not just that I'm teaching these history facts. You have to go in as what skills am I going to be bringing to these students, and especially 21st century students. 100%. And I just think it's so amazing the connection that they're getting and also those real world skills. I like to tell my students that you do history in similar ways that you do science experiments and similar ways that you solve math problems. So they are doing history and they're also realizing that history is a part of their lives. It's an active thing that's happening either to them every day or happened um, in their families and that it matters and that they matter. And yes, and the sad thing is that many students that come to me haven't been taught history that way. So it makes it harder for me to open that door to get them interested in. So one of the things that you have to do is that you have to show them that it should matter to them and what connections you're going to bring to them. And sometimes you don't know. So you, you, you put things out there and you just see, is, is this the one that's going to catch fire? And if not, then you try something else. Um, one, of the, um, one of the books that I brought into my class was Enrique's Journey. And it has sat on my shelf for, I think, two years before I even read the book. And when I introduced it to my class and the parts of the book that just resonated um, with my Hispanic and Latino students, with my undocumented students. Um, when they told me how much that book meant to them, um, it just 
it just filled my heart. And it was also, okay, this book is never going to leave my, my classroom reading list because I know what it meant to them. And that's what you have to do, uh, whether you're talking about Black history, whether you're talking about rural history, whether you're talking about environmental history, whatever it is, you have to make that connection. You have to make history alive. And one of the things is this issue of teaching controversial history and kind of lumping Black history in with that because it is history that people don't know. Because you don't know it doesn't make it controversial. Absolutely. Say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> that, I mean, that just, that just irks me to no end. Um, I was at a conference and um, I was talking to some teachers and I was like, well, I used the graphic novel Nat Turner uh, by Kyle Barker. Great book. And these teachers were like, you teach Nat Turner? I was like, yes, because it's history. And they was just so surprised. And they was like, well, I'm, you're so brave. And, all. and I was like, I'm not brave. I'm teaching history. And especially um, being in North Carolina, we're right beside Virginia. This is actually local history. Um, it's probably history. They've probably been through the area that I'm talking about. But for them to understand this story in the concept of slavery, then it's important. So because they've never heard it before or they only heard bits and pieces of it, when I reveal those histories to them, then it's like, oh, I understand this. It's not controversial. It's just history. I so agree with you there. So before we end our interview, I just want to know if you have any parting thoughts. What message would you like to leave with the audience? And when you sent me that question, and I've been thinking about it all afternoon, um, what I would want history teachers, uh, my words of wisdom or my two cents, is to for history teachers to realize that they're scholars and that they're always learning and to take the time. And I know that there's only 24 hours in a day, but take the time to learn the history and not only just pick up the book because that's the hottest item uh, there, but actually take the time to understand the history. Take the time to look at movies Okay, so if you're studying black history, okay, when's the last time that you watched a movie with an all black cast? Instead of just learning these history facts, when's the last time that you really listened to music from black artists? So you got this great lesson plan, but understand everything else that's going to go with it and become that lifelong learner that we keep teaching and preaching in the classroom. Thank you so much. Valencia, if a listener would like to get in touch with you after listening to the interview, what might be the best way for them to do that? I am on Facebook, 
okay and i do accept friend requests but just to let people know i do politics history and my grandchildren so uh that's the focus now on my twitter i am more uh education uh with that so um they can follow me on twitter or they can uh, email me. They can email me at my school email address, which is theabbott at rock.k12.nc.us. Great. Thank you so very much for being my guest today. I am so honored that you were here and I learned so much and I enjoyed our conversation. I am actually kind of sad that it's over. Um, so listeners, I hope that you also learned something or that Valencia got your wheels turning in the same way or better than mine are. If you would like to get in touch with me between this episode and the next one, you can find me on Twitter at History Her Way, or you can head to my website at www.teachinghistoryherway.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad that you're here, whether it's your first time or you're a repeat listener, and I will see you next week. Have a good one.